Today, the Below Average Joe's MMA Show present the Weekend Recap. And we're here to talk about everything involving UFC 280. What a day it was. A marathon of sorts. We're also talking Dana White looking to make a massive, massive fight for the co-main spot in Australia. And the PFL have just made a deal with DAZN. Yes. All this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Thank you for joining us. It's a lovely, lovely, well, Monday morning for you. Sunday afternoon for us. We are recording this smack dab in the middle of the football slate for the NFL today. It is halftime of the 1 o'clock games. We are... We are here. Uh, me and Dominic have not. We just haven't been able to get enough of each other. Yeah. Uh, Dominic and the boys came and visited me this weekend at my humble abode. It was really good to see everybody. Just have a couple nights of just the boys. We lost a lot of money. Not a good. lot of money. Yeah. And I'm sure some of you know that if you know how <laughs> I was talking about certain fights on this card that we will get into, but. I'd rather lose my money with my friends than without my friends. So, yeah. Dominic, you've made the trip back. You were able to get home almost unscathed. Yeah. Our, yeah. Poor pal, our poor pal JP, unfortunately, forgot his car keys here two hours away. So, yeah. uh, JP, be checking your mailbox. Uh, Dominic, <laughs> right. how, how, are you, how are you feeling? I'm good. I'm feeling a little bit rough around the edges, a little beat up. But it was a great weekend, as Noah already said. I'm not going to copy in and paste, uh, but it was good seeing everybody coming over to Noah's neck of the woods for the first time. It's just always nice having the quality time. Someone does not enjoy that we have the quality time. I hear that in the back there. But, uh, man, it was great. My my throat's throbbing. I'm feeling it. Lots of talking, lots of shouting. Mm -hmm. It was one hell of a roller coaster of emotions for the MMA fights uh, this weekend. And we're going to get into them all, so... I'm excited to get into the recap, my friend. I know how your weekend was, so I don't really have to ask you about it. It's showtime, dare I say. It is, it is. But we do have to give a shout-out to another special entity on this podcast. Yes. And that is PointsBet Sportsbook. They are the official betting partner of the Below Average Joe's MMA show. And they have a special offer that you, the listener, you, the viewer, can take advantage of right now. Right now, PointsBet Sportsbook is offering you a 100% match on your initial deposit up to $2,000. This is free money, completely free. All you have to do is sign up. Yeah. One of two ways. One, you go into the link in today's episode in the description. Put in all your information, sign up, boom, get the deposit. Or... Or you can download the PointsBet Sportsbook app yes. and use code MMA Joe's. Oh. oh, sorry. MMA Joe's. There it is. At sign up. And there you go. You got the deposit. So make sure you do that. Take advantage of that. We love PointsBet Sportsbook. And with that, Dominic, I think we just go straight in, rip off the band aid, the main event of UFC 280. Yes, here we go. Islam Makachev is your new UFC lightweight champion. It did not hurt me to say that as much as you may think it did. <laughs> now, he gets it done with a second-round submission over 
Charles, Dubronx, Oliveira. As you all know, we try to remain as unbiased as we can on this show, but some things are, dare I say, inevitable. Yeah. And I've become so absorbed into the the just star power of Charles Oliveira. I am such a big fan of his. I could not contain my bias for the fight breakdown. Just couldn't do it. Couldn't yeah. do it. Had, and I had just had to lean into it, if anything. You, you don't want to do what, like, da- like what Daniel Cormier does on commentary. I get it. You have to do that because you're a commentator. You have to try to line, even though you do have a clear bias. I tried to do that on here. I feel like you guys would have all seen through it. So I just had to lean into it, go full in, Charles Oliveira, and I was all in. I put money on the line, and I lost it. I lost that money. But that's okay because we do have a new lightweight champion. And, Dominic, I said on this show, going in on the preview, in order for Islam Makachev to get this victory – he needed to show us something that he had not up to this point. Mm. Are we in agreement that we saw that very thing on Saturday afternoon? I would say so. I would say so. Um, it was really domination for eight minutes and 16 seconds uh, by Islam. He looked calm and competent on the feet, um, enough to cause problems for uh, Charles, because I would have thought going in, Charles had the advantage there. We've seen his striking improve over the last few fights. He's putting people away uh, on the feet in uh, his last few fights. Uh, but Islam was the one doing the damage. He was the one leading the dance. And uh, he even landed a big shot that knocked down Charles and led to that uh, inevitable submission that came in the halfway point of the second round. So it was a very, very strong showing for Islam, man. I mean, what more could you even ask from him? Um, I guess the only thing that didn't happen that I still wish would have, but again, it's like he's so good. What's it even really matter at this point? Um, he didn't really have to face a storm. It was all him, man. So a credit to him for being able to do that to the former champion, to the number one man uh, in this division or the former number one man in this division now. So Islam is sitting atop the throne. He's um, accomplished father's plan. He is the protege of Habib Nurmagomedov. He is the lightweight champion, man. And uh, we can't take that away from him. Uh, if, if we're going to lose money, we want it to be to a guy like that, that a guy that you can confidently say is the new best lightweight in the world. It was quite the performance. It really was. Yeah, I I completely think we saw something we had not seen up to that point. It's clear his striking is much better than we anticipated. His striking, while he does not lean on it, he doesn't um, use it often, at least as a key to his offense. Here, when he did... He got the better of the exchanges. And really what it came down to, Dom, the biggest difference between these two guys, I'm not even going to get into like the stylistic differences, but really the simple big difference in this fight was Islam is defensively extraordinary. Yeah. Charles puts himself in danger. That's what he's done. That's what everybody, he got this reputation of being a guy who gets his ass kicked and then comes back, which I don't think is quite the picture that is reality. But I, I I see the point. You know, he gets beat up, he comes back. But that's because he's willing to put himself into mm. those dangerous, risky positions in order, higher to risk, higher to reward, you know. And that's how he's right. really carved out this legacy for himself. But Islam, 
was just so defaced down here. I mean, Charles really just couldn't get anything going. And then once he would even start to, once he started to try to implement that pressure, Islam very opportunistic with his level changes. Um, once they were in the clinch, very good about getting the trips, getting the fight to the ground and holding position. I mean, it's, there's really nothing you can say about this performance that was anything other than exceptional. Yeah, And I see what you're saying. We say that a lot about different fighters, how we want to see them face the storm a little bit, have to, you know, like what Charles has done. Like you want yeah. to see from someone like Islam, who's been mostly dominant. Yes, he does have a knockout loss from back in the day. But in terms of this run he's been on since then, 11, it's now 11 straight wins for him. You want to see him get tested, get actually like drop around or some, see how he responds, get rocked, something. But Dominic, I don't even need to see that at this at this point to buy into him because right. once you reach the 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 pinnacle, the pinnacle of the sport, once you reach the champion, I'm just gonna assume that that's just not gonna happen, at least for a while. Yep. Yep. We're just not going to see him in a compromise spot. He just might be that much better than everybody that he's going to fight. Um, we'll see. Time will tell. He does have a very big fight, it looks like, in his first title defense. But in terms of what we saw here, A-plus across the board. I mean, there's really just nothing I can say that is anything other than this was an exceptional performance. He showed some some layers that I had not anticipated or has seen. And it was a huge jump for him. He was obviously ready for the moment. He's got a great team behind him, a great corner. These people are taking over the sport over in Dagestan. And Islam Magachev might be here to stay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that—that's the—that's the phrase right there. Here to stay. Mm -hmm. um, we have no reason not to believe that. And now he's the champion, man. And like you already said, that first title defense is going to be mighty interesting. Um, and I just do just, do just want to say before we transition, that uh, that run from Charles was quite historic. It was quite special to mm -hmm. see what he did in such a really short amount of time in terms of like that whole championship era, uh, being in these fight of the nights, being in these main events really just making the most of the opportunity. That's what you want to see these fighters do. He did that. He falls short here, but he's still in the prime of his career. You never know. We may just see a rematch down the line. But for right now, all the glory is to Islam. There's no excuses. In the future, Noah, I mean, you can't really have a bigger first title defense than what Mr. Islam Makachev is about to have. Yeah, it seems all but certain we will be super fight next between Islam Makachev and the featherweight champion and number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world, Alexander Volkanovsky, as the main event over in Australia come the first quarter of 2023. Now, Dominic, this is kind of our chance to really address this. We didn't do so on uh, Thursday just because... We kind of wanted to see who was actually going to be the champion going into that. And, you know, Charles had made some big, uh, had some big plans for himself and if that were going to be the scenario. But now that we know Islam's the champion, Volk looks like he's going to get that tight. My question for you is, do you think that this is the right fight to make? Now, we had other fights here in the lightweight division. Um, I guess, is this the fight that you think should be made? And if not, who's really getting skipped over the most here? 
<laughs> at this point, there is no other man getting skipped over more than Mr. Benil Daryush himself, who was on this card, who extended his own <clears> win streak <throat> to, I think, I believe, eight now. Um, so while it is unfortunate, while I hate saying it, Alexander Volkanovsky is the number one fighter in the world, number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. He's the champion at 145. He's the man that showed up as the backup, made the weight when he did not have to do it. He put himself in that spot for a reason. Now he's going to get rewarded for those sacrifices that he did. Um, getting to host that title fight in his uh, homeland of Australia is a massive, by the way, and massive for Islam to go over there to that, uh, into that atmosphere. So I love everything about it. I think it's a phenomenal super fight with fantastic storylines, and I'm here for it, man. I really am. Uh, the rest of this division have kind of already had uh, their shot, right? I mean, you got Dustin, you got Chandler, you got Gaethje. All three of those guys fell by the wayside to Charles Oliveira, who's now going to flip-flop to that number one. Well, really, he's going to stay at number one because Islam goes to the champ. But you get my point. There's no one else that got really skipped over except Benil. But it was already, I believe, a long shot for him to get a title fight, even with the win of over Matos Gamrat, regardless of if Alex was in the picture or not, which I hate to say again, but I believe that's the case. So yeah, I'm fine with this man and Benil and we're going to talk about him of course later, but I do truly stand strong that one more and he's in. And if not, even if he waits, like the win streak is unmatched right now. So I'm not even going to hate it if he waits, but I think he'll probably fight one more time. I do feel like, I don't know, but I feel like if you go back and look at what we said after Benil's last fight, I'm pretty sure we also said one more and he would get a title fight. So it's likely. I feel like we just keep, I feel like the next time he comes in here, we're going to be like, well, one more and he gets a title fight. It's like, when are we finally just going to give the guy his shot? So Alexander Volkanovsky, number one pound for pound fighter. The man beat Max Holloway three times. He destroyed the Korean zombie. The dude has looked... Impact. Well, he destroyed Brian Ortega. He's putting on good fights. He's putting on even better performances in those fights. I'm not one of those people that thinks that a champion moving up or down has to have a fight in that division before they get a title fight. If you proved you're the best fighter of your weight class, and a guy like Volkanovski doesn't have a clear number one contender, mm-hmm. I'm fine with him moving up and getting straight for the title. I mean, he's a... It's a reality of the sport, Dom. Like, sure, it'd be nice if we had it set up to where it made sense for Volk to go up and fight like Charles, and then if he wins, then he fights Islam. But the money talks and belts matter in this sport, and you have two champions wanting to fight one another. It makes a lot of sense. And I do think it's a very interesting style fight. Mm. Volk may end up being a pretty decent underdog here. Like, you know, it's a bigger underdog than Charles was going into this fight, which I think is very interesting. I'm curious how you feel about that immediate thoughts of Volkanovski being over a two-to-one underdog. Yeah. Oh, man. Over a two-to-one. I guess I wouldn't be terribly surprised. I think it surprised. makes sense, doesn't it? I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I think sense. it makes I, sense, right? I, I don't know if they will get that steep, or if anything, maybe they open, and then it shall close closer, kind of like how the one with Charles did. Uh, but I, I, if it stayed that way all the way through, I would be very surprised. How about that? Because this is, at the end of the day, really? the number mm-hmm. one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. I know he's going up a weight class. I know Islam looked massive 
compared to him when they were standing face to face in the octagon. Um, but the talent matters. The title defenses matter. The fight styles matter. And Alex is as well-rounded as they come. But I, I do think regardless, he will close as an underdog still. It's just a matter of like how big or small that or that discussion can vary between people. But yeah, he's going to be an underdog, which is insane because the man hasn't been an underdog in quite some time. And he damn sure hasn't looked like an underdog. I can't think of another scenario where a number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world will be an underdog, but this right. one. Right. And I can't deny, after what I saw Saturday, I think it makes a lot of sense that he is the underdog of this fight. And I think being that much of an underdog probably makes sense, too. Like, to me, it's as great as Volkanovski is, we cannot deny the fact that he's not some huge featherweight that's going to be moving up here. I mean... Mm-hmm. After what we saw with, like, this is not the same thing, but Lasagna went up to light heavyweight. Things are just different when you move up weight classes. And, yes, I know that was Adesanya going up 20 pounds, but when you scale it down and you have these guys that are smaller framed, 10 pounds makes a lot of difference going from 145 to 155. Islam's a big 155-er, man. He's very He's got good size to him, good length to him. Um Volkanovski's just he's so good though I don't know if it'll matter but and and then you have the wrestling on top of it like it's just it's a very tough fight for Volkanovski and I mean maybe this is a given due to the fact that Charles just lost but dare I say I think Islam's just a much tougher fight for Volk than Charles would be even though if Charles would have won this fight against Islam I'm and you know that obviously is not what happened but Probably both of them should be a favorite over him in all reality. It's just, uh, I don't know. I think it's an awesome fight, though. It's a great main event for that card. I just, I, I, I probably, right now, gut tells me I'm not putting any money on it. I just don't know where to even lean there. Like, it's it's so intriguing. Yeah, yeah there's literally, that. that's the most intriguing fight to me right now out of all these other great fights that are happening the rest of the year that one that isn't even officially booked but you just know is going to happen it's just so sick it's a special fight because we're having potentially the future of this division a future a future all-time great going up in his very first title defense and already being against the number one pound for pound fighter in the world another champion i mean you just don't see scenarios like this happen and that's what makes it so special. And not to mention just the talent that both guys have. It's going to be sick. It's going to be a spectacle too. At least I sure hope so. Yeah, I completely agree. Let's move on to the co-main event, Dom, where we had another title on the line, this time the men's Bantamweight title. Aljamain Sterling retains in very dominant fashion, a TKO win over the former two-time champion, TJ Dillashaw gets it done. Three minutes, 44 seconds of round number two. But oh boy, oh boy, do we have some controversy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, TJ Dillashaw's shoulder dislocated, right? That the terminology popped out of place, dislocated. Yeah. Uh, pretty much within the first 15, 20 seconds of the fight. Um, Aljamain got him dominated the whole first round. TJ obviously have a very compromised left arm at that point. Goes back to his corner, gets it back in place. Savage shit right there. Goes back out. It pops out of place again. Aljamain dominates, gets the ground pounds him to a TKO finish. 
TJ discloses in his post-fight interview in the cage that he had actually told the ref in the back, Mark Goddard, I believe was the referee, told him that this was an issue he had been dealing with throughout camp and to let fight you, basically, if it happened. Now, Dana made it clear in the post-fight presser that he did not disclose this to the commission and that he should have since... And a lot of people have been kind of throwing their input in here. A lot of people saying he should have told the commission because he didn't have a realistic chance of winning this fight. If that was such an issue for him in camp where it's popping out like 20 times, like he should know it's going to happen here in this title fight and that he should have basically removed himself. Um, What are your kind of thoughts on just that situation? Just TJ with his shoulder, obviously savage move. You don't even, we don't even have to talk about the fact that it takes a lot of balls to just, fight through that but in terms of what his liability is or what is his uh, responsibility to inform other people to take himself out of this situation where do you kind of stand on that i'm completely fine with him going in and fighting this fight i respect it a lot and i think he knows that he's in the deepest and the strongest division in the ufc right now if he tells the commission they're not going to let him fight the fight gets scrapped, pay-per-view gets hindered, and he likely has to be sidelined to really fix the injury rather than just nurse it throughout a camp, and he loses a title fight because someone else is right there to pick up the order. <clears throat> Sean O'Malley's right there after last night. Marlon Chito Vera's there right after last night. Corey Sanhagen's still there after his main event win a month ago. There's too many moving pieces in this division. If you have a title fight, you go and you fight for it. How many times do we talk about in these fights, Noah, these guys never go in, the guys or girls never go in 100%. Never happens. Um, so I just have massive respect for him, and I don't hate on him at all for doing it. I understand the viewpoint if people are upset with it, but at the end of the day, guys, this is his career. If he goes in there and knocks out Aljo, booyah. Who cares about a dislocated shoulder? He's the new champion. He had to take his chance. He took it. He didn't get it. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Back to the drawing board now. But at least he got that chance because if he tells the commission, he never gets it. And we don't know when, if ever, that he fights for a title again. So I have no issue with it, to be truthful. I have zero. I completely agree with you about TJ's responsibility or whatever about this. He's the fighter. If he thinks he, he's obviously going to think he can fight through this and win this fight. Like he. That's how fighters are made. That's how they're bred. That's their mindset. Yeah. They, they're, they're, uh, what's the word? Like they're just, they're very just headstrong. Like you know, that's that's part. There's an ego to it. I mean, that's part of yeah. being in this yeah. position that you believe you're one of the best in the world, even if you're not. TJ is, but obviously wanted to fight through this, and I do give him full respect for doing so. But I do question the people around him here because, Dominic, I, I, I know your point about no fighter comes in 100%. But we're talking about dislocated shoulder. This isn't like a, you know, I don't know what kind of injury. I mean, we have seen some pretty gnarly injuries people have apparently <laughs> yeah. been dealing with. Darren Till, I believe, had a torn ACL in the fight yeah. with Derek Brunson. Like, you know, there's some crazy shit these guys go through. But this is some deep or bruise or some cut that they got that or you know whatever 
I mean, a dislocated shoulder is a massive, massive problem. It completely enables you from even being able to use that part of your body for a fight. And then when you're talking about a shoulder, I mean, it completely compromises you. Now, that's why I think people around TJ kind of failed him here because you should know that you should not have the same mindset as the fighter. The fighter can be headstrong. The fighter can be stubborn. You have to be able to be, take yourself out of the situation and go, okay, he does not have a chance at winning this fight. Cause we know based on the amount of times this happened in camp, this is going to happen in the fight. And the moment it does, he's basically done for. And that's what happened. So Basically, what happened here is Aljamain Sterling put on a fucking show against TJ and destroyed him. And now, who knows how far back this has set TJ from just getting another chance in the future. Mm. In the same breath, again, on TJ's perspective, he's 36 years old. Mm-hmm. He just had his his comeback fight was over a year ago. Main event spot, Corey Sanhagen. He blew his knee out in the first round, fought through it, won a very close decision, had to take about a year to recover from that injury, is put in a title fight, and now he has another massive injury in his training camp. So you have to understand from his perspective, he's thinking, this is going to be another long recovery major setback. So I'm of the belief, and I know some of our friends disagreed with us because we talked about this just a couple hours ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If TJ pulls out of this fight, I do not believe that he just immediately gets a title fight when he's ready. No, I I agree. Like, a lot of people didn't think he should have got this title fight in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now, we can have our debates about that, but... Like you said, this is such a loaded division with plenty of people in position to fight for a title. Mm-hmm. I don't see, like, especially if every other fight on this card was still the same. Let's say they just removed the Aljo Sterling fight or yeah. Aljo uh, Dillashaw fight. You think they're they're gonna wait for TJ for I don't know six, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve months, whatever? While Sean O'Malley just had that win, and he's yes. right, now he's primed to be the next. It's not happening. You think they're going to wait when you have a guy like Cheeto Vera who's really building a very solid fan base and reputation for himself? He's getting called out by the champion in the cage. TJ would have been passed over, and then he would have to fight another fight where if he won, he'd probably get a title fight, but he'd probably have to fight someone like Peter Yan. Yep. Or maybe Corey Sanhagen again, or Marab Dwalish Wheely, yep. whoever it might be. And he probably reckons he's almost 37 years old. He's on borrowed time at this point because, like I had been mentioning multiple times to you guys, not viewers, my friends, going in, if he, won, he would have been setting the record for a new champion their age under 170 pounds, the oldest fighter. To ever become an and new champion, one hundred under one hundred seventy pounds, was Davison Figueredo at thirty four years old. This would have been the record by like years. It's not very realistic, right? So, yeah. 
Um, I think people around TJ failed him here, but I also completely understand why TJ moved forward and wanted to do this, and I fought him none whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, couldn't have said it better. Now I guess the other question here, and I hate to talk like this, but part of this uh, title I put this bitten isn't just for TJ. It's kind of for Aljo too, because yes, this was dominant. Dominant by all means. But there's still like an asterisk on it almost, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I guess where do you stand on that? Like, do you do you feel like yes, okay, he's the clear champion, but it seems like every fight from the Yon the first Yon fight, it feels like he's yet to just get like a a win that feels like no controversy attached, no strings attached at all. Um, is he still in need of that kind of that win to really prove himself in your eyes? Um, for me, no. I, I think I think the second fight with Pewter Yan answered questions that I didn't even know that I had. Um, and I know that TJ was hurt. I get it. His shoulder was fucked. But Aljo dominated this fight like would it have been much different if tj had a completely 100 percent shoulder i mean guys aljo by the way the size difference i was mind blown when they were in the cage with one another aljo looked like a featherweight and tj looked like a flyweight i mean it was insane the size difference the strength was noticeable um i'm not saying aljo would have necessarily got tj out of there that quickly um, and finished him, but guys, I had an inkling, and I ended up putting it on the line on the bet slip that we'll talk about later that this fight was going to be stopped inside the distance, regardless. So I still think that Aljo could have finished TJ, and vice versa, of course. Had I, you know, if he hadn't been hurt, but uh, I don't think it would have went terribly much different. I think Aljo was mm-hmm. the better man last night. I do, and I think he would have won that fight hindsight after seeing what I saw. Um, so I don't need to have him prove anything else to me he is the champion he now has two title defenses really it feels like if anything it just feels like this was his first title defense because the second fight with Jan felt like he won the belt even though it was his defense you know because of the illegal knee so i mean you're the champ man you're racking up defenses let's see what you can do next he's calling out everybody he's a little bit cringy on the mic but do what you got to do right and one of the guys speaking to cringe that wants that opportunity is Henry Cejudo. They've been talking. They've been beefing. Henry's always beefing with somebody on the internet. Um, you know, and obviously he's not going to fight his teammate in Marab. Um, but, you know, uh, Sean O'Malley, damn, he probably earned a title fight last night. So that's a guy there now. I mean, he has options, Noah. It's just a matter of what the UFC wants to do, what he wants to do. Uh, but, yeah, he's the champion to me. He's proven it. How long can he stay at the top? That's the question for me. I. I, I don't disagree on the, you know, I don't really think there's anything he needs to prove. I mean, he's simply taking the task in front of him. Um, there was some controversy with that second Yon fight that you may be forgetting. Like, I think a lot of people scored that fight for Yon because of the whole debate about, you know, uh, damage versus control. Aljo having so much control but not actually having a ton of damage in a couple of these rounds where he was probably scored the rounds due to the amount of time on top, but that's neither here nor there. I do think it's very presumptuous. 
I'm coming at you a little bit here. I think it's a little presumptuous of you to say that that fight would have gone virtually no if TJ had a decent shoulder because we don't know. You might be right. The fight may have gone no different at all, but there's no way to predict that or assume that. You can't prove that that fight wouldn't have gone differently either because it happened in like the first fifth seconds of the fight. Mm -hmm. Now, the size difference for sure. The wrestling, it was clear that just Aljo was, that was his game plan. But to me, I think there's a lot of unanswered questions about how this chip would go. Not to the point where I'm saying that TJ should get an immediate rematch. He made his choice. He showed up with knowing he got his ass kicked. But if this fight were to be run back in the future somehow, I don't think that it may go this way, but I don't think that there can be any assumptions made on how this fight would go a second time. This is basically an asterisk fight, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I definitely see the argument. I mean, of course, there you could call it an asterisk fight. It is an asterisk fight at the end of the day because of the injury. Um, but, I mean, it, you asked, has he proven himself? And to me, he has. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that, like, this fight being an asterisk fight hinders his legacy as a champion. Because at the end of the day... He dominated a former two-time champion, and there's nothing he can do about it. He, TJ got hurt. Oh, well, Jan, or, uh, Jan. Sterling took advantage. He went for the win, and he just has to keep carrying on. If TJ gets back in there one day and he is at full strength, we'll see what really happens. Um, I was just I, – I really – I don't know. Was it even going differently than I thought? I guess it was because on Thursday I was thinking, Noah – I like your point about the grappling, but I I just can't imagine a world where Sterling gets him to the ground and he got him to the ground with ease. So maybe even with a hurt, a fully healed shoulder, Sterling still does the same thing. Um, And maybe he just doesn't finish the fight. Maybe he just backpacks him like he did some of those rounds with Jan. Um, But I think he's just in his all right now. I think he's in his prime. The all time record for win streak at Bantamweight at eight. Never knew that was a thing until yesterday. That absolutely bamboozled my brain. So uh, yeah. On to the next. That's what it is for me. I I don't want I, I it may come off like I'm um, minimizing his victory, which I guess in a way I am because I'm calling it an asterisk fight. But I do want to make it clear that Aljo did what he had to do here and dominated the fight. So like to me, as far as he's concerned, like for his position, I'm not questioning his his championship reign. I'm not questioning anything about his ability it's simply to me i don't think it can be declared not that you're necessarily calling it a fact but i don't think it can be even assumed that this fight would go anywhere close to the same because that shoulder injury really just had a massive effect on him again that's the choice he made he knew that it's not like he didn't have that injury, then he showed up, and then it happened. I mean, he, he knew what he was getting himself into. And, uh, again, I think we both just kind of agree on the fact that Aljo's a champion. I understand that people don't necessarily like the guy, but it's all funny how it kind of stems from something that really wasn't his fault to begin with, and then I think he's just kind of running with it now. Yeah. So I have no issue with him, and I'm excited to see kind of where he goes next. I'd love to see Cheeto Vera get that, that title fight if – for some reason, the Sean O'Malley fight is not the way we go. And I guess that kind of transitions, Dom, into our third headline here because we can just go ahead and just go into 
Sean O'Malley did get the win on Saturday via split decision over Pewter Jan. Wow. I mean, first off, what a fight. This fight yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Peter Jan always comes and puts on a show, and, you know, Sean is the whole fucking show, basically, when he's on a card. So this fight delivered in more ways than I ever would have thought it was capable of. Yes. And um, Sean O'Malley proved he belonged. I think I'm trying to hit the points that I think everybody who listens, watches, can on. And that's that it was an awesome fight. Sean O'Malley proved he's one of the best in the division. Am I missing anything? Uh, neither guy comes out of here looking worse. Both yeah. guys come out looking great from yeah. this fight. Yeah. That's pretty much where all the agreements stop because uh, the two of the three judges gave this fight to Sean O'Malley, and there is a ton of controversies, as you can tell by the headline, Cursed Versi. And this kind of is the same thing I just said about Sterling. I think both these guys are kind of cursed. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. they just, they're kind of just, they, they can't seem to just have, like, a normal fight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was a great fight. But it's like, it seemed pretty clear that Peter Jan was going to get the decision in my mind. And then he didn't. Yeah. But I remember when I was sitting there, I was so invested in my bet I had for the fight to go to distance that I wouldn't say I was really scoring the fight that well. But I just remember I was done, and I was like, yeah, I think Peter Jan probably got the win, but wow, what a performance for O'Malley. And that seemed to be what everybody on Twitter was saying, everybody in my apartment was saying. And then O'Malley gets to win, and all of a sudden it shifts. Nobody's really talking about the quality of the fight anymore or how Sean belongs or this or that. All of a sudden, Dom, the cries of robbery were ringing loud through the streets. Yeah. There were people yelling robbery from this, from east to west, from north to south, every which way. And the media scorecards that they always release, not a single person scoring it for Sean O'Malley. Even a, like five or six scorecards having 30-27 yawn. Yeah. So I guess, Dominic... Let's talk about the whole robbery uh, part of this. Uh, was Peter Jan ultimately robbed of a victory on Saturday? I have to go no. I don't like that R word. It's a strong, strong word that we try to stay away from. Um, and very seldomly have we really even called for many fights during our previews and recaps um, to be robberies. And I don't think this is one of them. I think this was an incredibly high-level, skilled fight that was razor-close from start to finish, essentially. Um, round one is the round. That's the round in question, for the most part. I mean, obviously, there are people out there that scored at 30 to 27, but we're talking about the three people cage side that scored at 29, 28 across the board, respectively, for their fighter. Round one is the round. That is the toss-up, and I have not been able to go watch the fight back um, as we're sitting here recording this, and I plan to do so just to watch that round again. But I do remember when it ended just thinking... You know, it was close, right? I mean, it was close. Sean looked good on the feet, had a couple good strikes. Jan landed a takedown or two in the first. Never did much, even with his other takedowns later in the fight. Never did much with him, but he had the takedowns, had some control time, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I didn't think much of it. I was like, ah, probably probably Peter Jan at the end of the day. He still landed strikes uh, to fire back, and he had the takedown. So if he had the extra stuff, probably give it to him. Round two was pretty clear to me. Peter Jan, 
Um, he just landed the better strikes. Sean didn't do as much damage or anything in the second, and he had more takedowns. Round three, Sean, first off, answered any questions of, like, heart and grit and toughness by going into that third round and winning that third round um, on all of the judges' scorecards. And I thought he did win that round. He he definitely landed more damaging shots throughout, not only with, like, the knee that cut uh, Peter in a certain area, but he was slicing him up a little bit more, like, by the eyebrows and whatnot. He landed good elbows. He landed really good shots that, like, really stunned uh, Peter Yan. And Peter Yan landed one really good shot that stunned Sean back. It was kind of like back-to-back where they both really got rocked. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more damaging shots throughout the entirety of that round – were to Sean O'Malley, and that is the first criteria for the judges scoring. Therefore, I I had it two to one uh, for Peter Yan, and I just remember sitting on the couch, and I just got a weird, a weird vibe. I like I felt like Peter Yan was going to win, but I just remember saying like, I don't know, guys. I don't even know if I even said it loud, but I was like, kind of, I don't know, guys. I just feel weird. Like I felt strongly that Peter would win, but there was something in the back of my head whispering to me. And then when they actually read that Sean won, well, really when they said, like Bruce said, 29-28, yawn, and I'm like, holy shit, <coughs> it's a split decision. That's when it really set in, like, he's Sean O'Malley's going to win this, isn't he? Um, and then when they actually said Sean O'Malley's name twice, wow. It really was a surprising moment, and that is when the whole verdict um, switched. The conversation switched. Everyone went from praising Sean great fight you belong in the top five to oh bullshit this bullshit that ufc you're a joke you know because they totally have the judges and they told them to score it for them and whatnot right and all this and that we were blessed with a great fight as mma fans sean o'malley got the nod and what was a razor close fight that could have gone either way it's no closer than tj versus Corey sanhagen last year in my opinion it's one it's just a close fight someone lost it sucks that it affects Peter Yan's career. That's the worst part of it. Peter Yan has a loss that maybe some people don't think he should have. I maybe don't think he should have because I scored it for him. But that's the reality of it. There's no going back. Sean O'Malley's now going to be the number one ranked person in the uh, division or pretty damn close to it, Noah. Oh, that, that is true. Um, we don't like to use the R word, do we, Dom? We really no. don't. Um, I like to save the R word for you know bigger, more impactful fights like Ji Young Kim versus Priscilla Cachoeira. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I'm not going to call it a robbery. Now I was able to go back and watch the fight after you guys left this morning, and I'm going to put it like this: I think there's a stronger argument for 30-27 Yan than 29-28 O'Malley. Which, again, I'm not saying it's a robbery, but... It's just close to. See, this is the thing about a robbery. I don't think either guy... I feel like both guys come out looking good from this fight. Mm -hmm. Almost to the point... I know the result matters. There's there's win bonuses and stuff. Like, I, I know it matters... As a fan, as someone who likes to matchmake and stuff and do all these little things, I like you come out. I don't feel like this sets back Jan like majorly. 
Right. It obviously doesn't set back O'Malley. Even if he lost, I don't think it sets him back because of the way he performed against a guy who was looked at as like one of the best in the division. Again, it, this is not like I don't expect Jan to take any solace <laughs> in this. He's missing out on some money and a win that he probably should have gotten. But for it to be a robbery, you know, I would think a robbery would have been if try and think of a good example i mean if you have one of these two title fights go to a decision clearly the guy fighting for the title the guy like trying to win the title had won then the champion gets a gets the nod that's a robbery because you basically stole a title from him just someone fighting for the yes that's a robbery someone fighting for their ufc career Jiyun kim is why i call that a robbery because she had struggling i thought she clearly won that fight and then the judges took it from her and may have cost her i don't know if she still signed but at the time it felt like that may be it for her just due to the record not being good if someone if sean o'malley if the roles were here's what's funny dom if you had the same fight but you just switched the two guys on to the other side i would call it a robbery is that weird? Because Sean O'Malley would have, well, maybe I wouldn't have, but because Sean O'Malley with this win has inserted himself into a number one contender spot. I get what you're if saying. If he had lost a clear decision, like if Yad wins this fight, he's not getting a title fight next. Right. Not, not my opinion, but if o- O'Malley winning this fight, I think puts him in that position. So if the roles were reversed, I would call it a robbery because they would have stolen that number one contendership from O'Malley. So it's a little yeah. weird, right? But that's really how my brain works with the whole robbery thing, because I really don't want to use it. Yeah, I get it. So so basically what I'm saying is what everybody's calling a robbery out there is probably true, but I just wouldn't use the term. I just hate it. So I think Pyrion pretty clearly won this fight, but <laughs> you're kind of right, though. Like As a fan, it almost doesn't matter. Like, the guys put on such a hell of a fight on a night where there wasn't a ton of great fights. This yeah. one stood out among the rest. Yeah. It's one. It's going to be up there, and, like, I don't know how it stacks up in, like, fighting. It was the most surprising fight, whatever, but it it's definitely on the short list. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess my question, Dom, though, is Sean O'Malley looked, he even looked surprised that he got the nod he, here. He did, and yeah. I think his post-fight interview kind of showed that. Where I think you saw probably the least confident Sean O'Malley interview I've ever seen. Yes. Um, they straight up asked him if he wanted the title fight, and you would think he would have really went for it right there. Yeah. But you gotta, I got to watch the fight. I got to see, you know. Then he kind of turned it around and was like, but I'm sure the fans want to see – you know, me in the main event, that we're going to give the fans what they want. But that was the least confident I've ever heard Sean O'Malley sound. Yeah. So I guess we're pretty much declaring it an inevitable that uh, he's going to get the title fight. But is he? Is he going to get the title fight next? Yeah, that's a man. You're so right, too. Like, the way in which that the uh, post-fight interview went. And uh, it's just like, I know that, 
Triple C's out there and he's tweeting and this and that at Dana White and everything, making sure the boss man sees it. Aljo talked about him in the post fight interview and he is it back in USADA, but it just doesn't seem like he left the UFC on good terms. Is he really going to just come right back on in and get a title fight when a new golden boy in Sean O'Malley has that chance as well and could get that opportunity? And Noah, Here's a question because I'm clearly ignoring the, you know, to answer your question. So I'm going to hit you back with the question instead. <laughs> what does better? If you're headlining a pay per view, does the return of Triple C against Aljo do better than Aljo versus the Sugar Show Sean O'Malley? Am I'm, I'm like, oh, wait, genuinely. Is, is, is What's that? Is this a real question? This is a real question, yes. Okay. Uh I think the O'Malley fight does like way better than the pseudo fight. I think that's I think that's clear that O'Malley is just a much bigger star. Yeah. Cause you're talking well, I guess I sh- I'm not making fun of you. I guess I'm getting clarity. Are you asking about like pay per view buys? Like what your question is like asking about? Yeah. High pay-per-view buys probably all goes towards O'Malley, yeah, then right? it's 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 all uh, O'Malley for sure. I'm actually surprised. That's like the second time you brought up Cejudo, and I know he's the one that's like keeps bringing it up. Like I think there's, I think Marlon Vera has a better chance of getting a title fight than Cejudo does. He probably realistically does. It probably does go O'Malley, Vera, and Triple C at the end of the day. I, I understand why you're bringing him up because like they the, they keep asking Dana about him. He keeps tweeting. You know, we I love Triple C. Like I think he's I, he's such an underrated talent. But I think you know what kind of make would be interesting if we were to kind of shuffle these guys around and put them in a little matchmaking here. If O'Malley really is kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should really be doing it. Like, it seems like O'Malley gets a title fight if he wants it. I just don't know if he wants it. Like, I mean, obviously, you don't want to put too much thought into the immediate aftermath of the fight. I mean, he's going to have time to really think about this. But tell me how this sounds. What if you do Sterling versus Vera for the title? Okay, cool. And then how about you do Sean O'Malley versus Henry Cejudo? That'd be... I mean, no complaints for me, right? That's a, There's a story to that. That's a great challenge for Cejudo to come back to. A lot of interesting questions there. How Cejudo is going to lay off. You know, Cejudo left as the champion. Can he really come back in and take on the guy who just, just proved he's one of the best in the division? Yeah. And I'd be very interested. Yeah, yeah, that's an. I, I would. That would be great. And I think um, if Sean were to fight Henry Cejudo and win specifically, it gives you a good idea of how he would fare against potential matchup with Aljamain Sterling because Aljo is going to wrestle just as much as Henry Cejudo mm-hmm. would, and of course Vera could beat Aljo. And then you still have a storyline because hello, Sean O'Malley's only loss of his career is Marlon Vera, and look where both guys have went since that fight happened and another whole scenario with these guys is if they really did give triple C the comeback fight right into the title. I don't, again, I don't think they're going to cause it's him and Dan. I don't think it ended well, but you never know. Maybe then 
you run it back, you do Vera and Sean O'Malley, that would be the other fight left. I mean, there's just a couple different scenarios here, and all of them seem relatively realistic. Which one is the most realistic? I do like Noah's. Um, it's kind of almost just like, is Marlon Vera in the same sort of boat as I'm holding Benil? Am I just holding out to see him win one more when really he probably doesn't even need to? I mean, he just head kicked Dominic Cruz's head off of his body into the stands. Am I really saying he needs right. to win one more? I mean, I shouldn't be saying this, but I guess I am kind of viewing him in that same boat as Benil Dariush. It's a case-by-case basis. They are in similar positions, but I would say Benil has a greater argument than Vera for going straight to the title. Mm. Just based on their own accomplishments, their own standing. Mm-hmm. I think Benil's just, I mean, longer win streak. Yeah. I think the win over Gamrot was very impressive, especially considering what he had to go through to get there. Just letting a broken foot heal on its own and stuff. Yeah. Um, Vera, I still look, obviously I want to see Marlon Vera fight for a title. I'll put my bias out there. I want to see it. I do, but I would, I right now would expect that he'll need one more to, to get it, whether that's against Cejudo or Marab or, uh, Sanhagen or whoever. I mean, there's a lot of great fights that can be made here, Yeah, but it's all just about what who's going to be. I think a lot of it's going to be timing. You know how Dana loves to talk about, you know, timing's everything and stuff. And that's life. But I think more than ever, you're just going to, it's going to be about who's ready to go when they're ready to put Aljo's title on the line next. We know Aljo has seemingly wanted to be a little less active than some guys. He's, you know, we probably won't see him again till, you know, April, May, June, around that time. And if that's the case, who knows what's going to happen by then? The UFC might be ready to do uh, Jan, or sorry, um, Sanhagen versus Vera in like a big main event. Or mm-hmm. Cejudo may be already coming back and they want to do him and O'Malley or wh- whatever it could be. Someone's going to have it work out to where they will be ready to go at that time and the UFC are going to put them in that spot. I think... I would. I just. I think there's almost a zero percent chance Cejudo is the guy getting that title fight. I think it's nearly zero. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting, man. And I and I wanted to say just on O'Malley's part, I suppose, is that the reason you think his um, post fight interview went that way is because he was just so shocked, like he had just got drug into the deepest waters mm. that he's ever had to test, and to immediately think, "Holy shit!" If that's <laughs> how this fight went and Aljo just beat Jan. What's in store for me if I have to fight a guy like Aljo? And I, I I think that really showed like the realistic, genuine side of these fighters and the mental game of these fighters that, that post fight interview really said probably more to me than what it did to others, but just like eye opening that a star like that with the spotlight that he has didn't pounce. Like you would have expected going into the fight. You're thinking, Oh, Sean wins this, he's going to be ready. He's going to break a promo. Mm. He's ready to call out the champ or TJ, so on and so forth. And, man, when you go to war, shit will change you, right? So I'm excited. (laughs) This division's amazing. This division's amazing. It's been on fire for a very long time. It continues to be. It's the best division in the sport right now. And there's so many people, as we talked about in this discussion, as we talked about in the championship discussion, people are ready. People are in line waiting 
thirsting for that title shot. Aljo's got no slim pickings. He's got plenty to choose from. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to some headlines before we get into the rest of UFC 280. Dana White speaking with, uh, was it the Mac Life, I think? He mentioned that the fight they are looking to make as a big co-main spot and on that, Lo- sorry, I said Australia in the, in the intro, the London card that we believe will be headlined by the trilogy fight between Usman and Edwards is Hamza Chimaya versus Colby Covington, Dom. So 170-pound fight, a major fight for sure, but take out the excitement for the fight and just kind of ask yourself, is this the right move considering all the factors here? Uh, I'm going to go yeah. I'm going to go yeah. Dana mm. seemed to strongly think, I'm giving him one more shot. I'm giving him one more chance. Mm. Make the weight. Here you go. Number one contender fight. Miss the weight. You're going up. You're not fighting at 170 anymore. It's almost like an ultimatum fight for Hamza, but a very big one. Because if he wins, it's Colby Covington. It's a number one contender fight. You're going to get the winner of the fight that you're co-maining for. If you don't make the weight or you lose your career at 170 pounds is over with, and you have to essentially move up to 185. It's like Joe Sonnen and the Anderson Silva fight in the whole... Anyways, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like it. This is a fight I've been wanting. I think it makes sense. Hamzad, I think, earned um, a title fight, but I'm not opposed to him fighting another one <laughs> if we're going to clear up the trilogy, right? So in that instance, I am 100% okay with this, and I think it's phenomenal to co-main it with Leon and, uh, and uh, Kamara Usman. In a stadium in London. I got a piece. Stadium, stadium with a roof. Oh, okay. I got a piece. <laughs> the only thing you said, Dom, that I'm kind of wanting you to elaborate on is, do you feel, you really feel like Hamza earned a title fight after his win over Kevin Holland? Oh, I forgot that was his last technically win. I, I mean, yeah, I... All the controversy aside, I just feel like there was like nowhere else for him to go. You know what I mean, Dan? Like, what's title. the next step, right? Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I've been clamoring for him and Colby for a long time. So if that's the consolation, then I'm absolutely not going to complain about it. And plus, you are in a way not punishing him because you are giving him a number one contender fight. But you're you're saying to him, you better make the fucking wait, or you're not going to get this title fight at 170. So like. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I stand. I know all weight misses are sort of created equal because they all have the same impact, it seems like, most of the time. Yeah. But eight pounds, yeah. I just... Yeah. I, I Don't get me wrong, this is going to be an awesome fight, awesome lead-up. I'm excited if it gets made. But, man, I think the UFC may regret this. I really do. Ooh. I hope not. I hope not because I want to believe, like, because I still believe in Hamzat and his ability, and he's always made 170 pounds fine before, but it's not even just the weight. It's, you know, he's, I mean, this dude's about it. He's about that life. Like, just Saturday at 280, he had two different altercations. Yeah. One where like people were, if you noticed all the guys in white were like looking away from the cage, that's because him. Yeah. Then after the main event, he gets into it with the Bubakar and the Magomedov. Why the hell are you getting into it with a Bubakar? They were throwing punches with that one. 
Oh, really? I didn't yeah. see. I didn't know that. Why are you getting into it with him? That dude ain't nowhere near the top five. Like, what's yeah. what's the point? It tells me he's just really about it, about it. Yeah, that's true. But you're going to have this lead up with Colby Covington. I mean, it's, I feel like there's a lot of messes that could be made. Asking here. for trouble. Yeah, yeah. And that if it all comes together, if the both guys make weight, if nothing too, you know, I mean, no, no, nothing too crazy happens, and they end up actually fighting each other, it'll pay off. But that's there's a at this point there's a lot of ifs there for me. Like some of that should be given that it it should be a given. They'll make way to given that there won't be anything too crazy that happens. I don't know how you can give Hamzat the benefit of the doubt after what we saw in the lead up to his fight with Nate Diaz it, that ended up not even happening. Like yeah, and that's completely I fair. Just, uh, and I felt like there was a clear that was a clear time to pivot into middleweight. I mean you had. A, a open lane with the Paulo Costa fight, and yeah. that could directly win, get a fight with the winner of Adesanya Pajera. But again, I'm. It's a massive fight, so I, this is these are a lot of ifs, a lot of speculation. I'm just kind of surprised, but it tells me the UFC, they're going to give this guy Hamza every chance before yeah. they're ready to give up on any route for him. Yeah. Last headline here, Dom. We're talking about the PFL. Mm. So we had been wondering kind of what, you know, a lot of the things the PFL been doing. You know, they're under ESPN Plus, but uh, PFL Europe, they got the Challenger Series, they got the Super Fight Division, these pay-per-views, you know, all this talk, but we didn't really know too much else. Well, it appears the PFL has made a deal with DAZN. DAZN kind of pride themselves in America as the home of a lot of big-time boxing, Canelo fights and whatnot on there. That's Eddie Hearn. Um, his, I forget the name of his promotion, but they're under DAZN. So, um, Tyson, uh, not Tyson Fury. Regard. I'm still a casual boxing fan here. Okay, so... Um, in America, DAZN's really just that. It's kind of a boxing library, and it's a place for you to buy boxing pay-per-views. Around the rest of the country, DAZN is a much bigger rest of the world. thing. Rest of the world. Oh, sorry. Rest of the world. Thank you. Uh, globally, it is much bigger. Like I think they even have, like in certain countries, that's where the, you can watch the NFL is like through DAZN and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, I mean, they really do have a very lucrative deal globally but in america it's kind of limited but with this deal for the pfl this is where pfl europe is going to be airing and according to the little promo video i saw it looks like this is where the super fights division is going to be kind of featured on so how does this news kind of hit your ears like is there i know we don't know too many details but just you know do you think this is a good thing for the pfl or how are you feeling about it yeah, if if it if this zone is big globally, and you think it can expand your footprint quicker than, like, like I don't really know what their distribution looks like across the world because obviously we're here in the states, so we just know you know mm-hmm. we ESPN Plus turn on ESPN whatever the case. But if this is going to help them um, reach new regions, new markets, expand their brand, 
Uh, I'm all for it, right? I mean, we love the PFL. We think they're number two right now in terms of MMA promotions. They go back and forth with us. Uh, they do things that are questionable. They do things that are scary. Um, not scary for us, but like scary for them to branch out and try to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one seems to check boxes, right? I mean, selfishly here in the States, we don't really have to worry too much. We kind of just have our ESPN Plus thing. We know what's going to happen here. But for, you know, we have international audience and whatnot. Hopefully, if you haven't gotten to watch as much PFL in the past, that will change for you starting in 2023 and how you get to see these super fights, how you get to see the PFL Europe uh, new division and tournaments and whatnot. So, I, again, I don't see how it can't be beneficial if you're just simply solely using it, using it to expand your footprint rather than what Bellator had done in the past where they went exclusively there for everything if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. right like for the u.s we yeah. couldn't see it unless you had the zone and that didn't pan out well for them so i don't know if i really have anything to add i guess part of me is disappointed only because this is another streaming service that i will need to get if i want to watch pfl europe but i mean i'm i'm for i mean we shall know. see. <laughs> <laughs> Will I do it? Um, that's why I'm like I'm. I'm trying to contemplate yeah. if I'm going to commit to it or not. Um, I think we'll let Dom decide that. So we will move on into the fight announcements portion of the show. Three fight announcements. Dom, just going to ring them off here, and you can kind of tell me what stands out to you. Lauren Murphy versus Jessica Andrade. So Andrade going back to women's flyweight. Looks like she'll be going, you know, maybe jumping around both divisions here. Snip, snap, That'll snip, be, snap. yeah, <laughs> UFC 283, January 21st. That's the Brazil card. Also on that card, Paul Craig. Insert clip. You are sporting the traditional Scottish kilt. What is under? Yes, please. You want to see? It's my, it's my, it's my. Your kibbles and bits? It's my, it's my cock. No. <laughs> we'll be taking on Johnny Walker. And then finally, on the card we've mentioned a few times on here on uh, in Australia, yeah. you're getting Robert Whitaker versus Paulo Costa. So, mm. God damn it, Dominic did it to me again. <laughs> I fucking I should have known that was coming. I look down on my sheet and I see him typing in "put in the cock." And then, <laughs> um, anyway, so three fights. One of them feels pretty bigger than you know, bigger than the others. But just how do they kind of, how do they bounce off you? Bigger than the other uh, cock excluded from the discussion. Um, <laughs> I'm going Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa. Come on, come on. This is a really good fight. It's a fresh matchup between two guys that have been at the top of the division for quite some time. It's going to be in Australia. Big time opportunity for Paulo to go over there and get a win against Robert Whitaker. Finally, get a win that'll solidify himself back into title contention, right? Because he's you know, he's been top 10, top 5, whatever he's at, but he's not really been in that title talk since the loss to Izzy. You know, it just hasn't felt right. that way. But if he comes back and beats Robert after what Robert's done, fought for the title a second time, he's right back in that discussion. It seems that he has the weight back in check. He looked great um, in his last fight from a weight-cutting standpoint. Had a fun fight with Luke Rockhold. So, yeah, that's got to be the one. I mean, Paul Craig and Johnny Walker should be fun stylistically you never really know what you're going to get in a paul craig fight though lauren murphy jessica andrage interesting that jessica is really just kind of bouncing back and forth but if she can comfortably 
make the weight and do that and see which one you can get to a title quicker at more power to you and more and Murphy's coming off of a big win against Misha Tate. So it doesn't feel like either get like a title shot off of that fight. So yeah, I mean, Whitaker Costa most at stake, most high level fight. That's the one. I do wonder though, is anybody actually confident that Paulo Costa can win that fight? Cause I don't see how you Ooh. can be like, mm. Don't get me wrong, Paulo Costa's good. I mean, he's very good. But based off what we saw in the Luke Rockhold fight, based off what we saw in the Marvin Vittori fight, based off what we saw in the Israel Adesanya fight, is anybody actually believe Paulo Costa can win this fight? I don't. Interesting. I don't. I don't see how he wins this fight. What a lot of people are going to say is, well, he can knock him out. He's got the power. Does he, though? Has Paulo Costa ever one-punch KO'd somebody? No. Not in the UFC. He is very good with his output, and he kind of goes for the kill once he has you hurt, a la, like, uh, Johnny Hendricks, Uriah Hall, those kind of fights. But um, I like Paulo Costa. I don't want to, you know, I don't – I know I'm kind of diminishing him here, but – it's a. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see Robert Whitaker back in Australia. I think that the scenes yeah. are going to be wild. And Paulo knows how to kind of. He he's really kind of built up. You know, he's really built himself back in terms of the fans. He really since has. the Izzy fight, he's become yeah. this like lovable kind of character. Even and that's yeah. crazy considering not just the Izzy fight, but then the Vittori shit when he missed weight, crazy. Yeah. And the, well, he didn't even miss weight. They just. They kept moving to weight classes yeah. and all this. Yeah. So it's kind of amazing. Whoever, I don't know if he has a PR guy, but whoever that is, they need to be like making big time business decisions or something. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I just don't think he has much of a chance here. Is that crazy? Like it's a high level fight. It's that might be more of a credit to Whitaker than a slight. I think on it Costa. is. I think it is. But yeah. um, it's still weird. Like it feels like there's the most at stake there, but you could t- you could convince me that there is an equal amount at stake in Whitaker Costa as Murphy Andrade just because is Whitaker really going to get a title fight off that win? True. True. It's hard to say, but yeah. big fight, don't get me wrong. Um I am curious about old Jessica Andrade's uh what she's doing here cuz seems like strawweight she has a clear path to a title fight, right? You would think yeah. I mean, I don't think they're. I don't think anybody's really clamoring for her to fight Valentina again. Now, maybe she. Maybe she's kind of. I don't know. I. I don't know how much fighters really think about things like. It probably depends on the fighter. But man, I really was hoping to see her and Rose again. Yeah, that, that would have been nice. I was so so ready to see that be like a fight night headliner. Oh my yeah. gosh! I. I that would have been. I would have been so invested in that. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know Lauren Murphy Andrade. I mean, I think Andrade probably smashes her. If I'm being honest, but to Lauren Murphy's credit, I know she, if she ever meets me, she'll probably kick my ass. But right, uh, she does tend to kind of show up in these kind of fights where you underestimate her most. Uh, Valentina fight notwithstanding, so in Brazil too, so enemy territory. Yep, um, and Paul Craig, go ahead and insert the clip again twice. Are sporting the traditional Scottish kilt. What is under? Yes, please. You want to see? It's my, it's my, it's my. Your cables and bits? It's my, it's my cock. No. <laughs> Let's move on to the rest of UFC 280. Well, 
not quite the rest of UFC 280, the rest of the All weekend. True. Because, Dominic, we actually got a little one on Prime 3. Number 3. So, talking about the main event here, John Lineker looking to make the first defense of his title against the man he took the belt from, Fabricio Andrade. And, Dominic, it ends in a no contest, but that's not even where we start. We got to go before the fight even took place because – Tell me if you've heard this one before. John Lineker missed weight. Wow. Some things just never change. They don't. Even hydration test, be damned. 10 pounds yeah. allowance, you know, all that. What, be Sucks, damned. man. It's, it is a shame. It though. does. So with that, tell me if you've heard this one before. Mm. The champion lost his title due to missing weight. Oh, that is ringing a bell. So basically what this fight turned into was no it was a title fight but basically Andrade was the only man who could win the title here. Right. And well <laughs> I don't I I can't think of a worse just result and lead up and everything than this. You know, a lot of people say that one has been kind of They've been starting to maybe pass Bellator a little bit here or there. So I think it's very poetic that they have decided to have main events just like Bellator, where uh, (laughs) everything just kind of goes to shit. Um, This ended in a no contest. John Lineker probably has a broken orbital due to an eye poke, I believe. Or no, I think, no, that was a punch. But this fight ends with a nut shot that broke his cup. And oh. probably his balls as well. <laughs> so John Lineker really went through it. Yeah. I mean, you got a feel for the guy. Um, yeah, Dom. Any anything to add to that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's just this unfortunate set of circumstances. No, nothing's went perfect. Let's just say for one in their endeavors onto prime thus far, but it's still giving them a platform. So for that, I mean, Hey, you know, it was cool. Noah watching Thursday night football this past week and old Al Michael goes, Hey, don't forget one championship, John Lineker versus Fabricio de Andrade. I'm like, that's pretty damn cool. It's pretty Mm. damn cool to hear that. on But then this happened. So it's a shame. Uh, Hopefully things can get resolved. I don't know what they're really going to do. Don't know what their plans are going to be. We'll just keep our eyes on it. I, I think this is the first dud of the Prime Video era for one because I think they had really nailed it with the first two cards. I mean, Demetrius getting his big win on the first one. That was the first one. The women's title fight on the second one was a great fight. Um, the first card did have that weird stuff where like 10 fighters on the card missed weight and then yeah. one came out like an hour later and was like, hey, everybody made weight. <laughs> Everything's good. good. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But, I, I mean, besides that, I mean, the actual cards have been delivering. Um, here, though, this is a very, very disappointing way for for this to go. I mean, I guess I guess there's a lot left to be answered about this. I, I assume we'll see this run back. And now the tie, there's no champion now. So yeah. uh, the champion has a name, right? I don't know if we can really say that. The champion has a name. It's John Lineker. I don't know if that one really rings a bell quite as much. But... Yeah. Uh, Dominic, I guess we'll move on to UFC 280. That is your one breakdown of the, the weekend. So for all you one fans, you're welcome. There we go. <laughs> Talk to your stuff there. Vanille <laughs> uh, Dariush, the aforementioned Vanille Dariush, gets a big unanimous decision win over Matos Gamrod. This was a pretty fun fight, Dom. It was good. Um, 
We were very concerned for Benil coming in here. We really were. Yeah. Didn't love the vibes. Just didn't feel like a lot of momentum was riding on him. It felt like he was in a he was kind of between a rock and a hard place. The man had broke his foot when he was supposed to main event with Islam. That could have been a huge opportunity for him if he had won that fight. Uh, clearly, he would have been the one fighting for the title if that fight had happened and he had won. Yeah. Uh, but instead, right before the fight is supposed to take place, he breaks his foot in training, decides to let it heal on its own. Gamrot is a fucking beast. Even if we think he lost against Saryukian, that fight was so high level that things just didn't look great for Benil here. And honestly, he he worked Gamrot. I mean, he looked great. The takedown defense mm-hmm. really is what won him this fight. Mm-hmm. I mean... Gamrod is such a pest that just he refuses to just give up on going for those takedowns. Yeah. I don't know how many times he actually got Darius down, but he never really got anything significant on him. And once he started dropping rounds, this is the problem I think I have with Gamrod in terms of his outlook, his future, his upside, is in this era we're in, I mean, really, I guess this is, how things should have been for a while. But it feels like now more than ever, we're so focused on judging these fights by damage instead of uh, takedowns, control time, you know, all mm-hmm. this stuff. When Gamrot gets down in a fight, he doesn't seem to be able to adapt because he's very, he's kind of a one-dimensional fighter. Now, he's one-dimensional, but he's so good at that one thing that it kind of doesn't matter a lot of times. I mean, he's got an extraordinary submission game wrestling. I mean, it's all the ground game's very good, but his stand-ups yeah. just not been able to catch up. And when he got down in this fight, there wasn't that urgency to try to put some damage on Benil. He was still trying to go for the takedowns. He wasn't able to really do anything on the feet. There was no adapting here in this fight, you know, once yeah. he was down. And I just, I worry about how that will look as he continues forward. Because if, if we're really, if we get consistency in judging, which is probably never going to happen, but right. if more and more judges start buying into the damage versus control and takedowns, then I think he's going to have some tough losses in his future perhaps if he's able to go down a round or two on a scorecard yeah you have to feel that was a really eye-opening fight for matos because he had that big main event spot against armand right and that was great it was a great fight he edged by got the victory but a lot of people felt armand should have won um so there's a little bit of controversy there and now he gets his first real test against not, not real tests in skill but i mean against a seasoned guy that's been in title contention for you know a couple years now at this point essentially with Benil and he did fall short so I'd say it's it's one of those drawing board type moments for Gamrod where he really goes back and analyzes what what went wrong what could I have done differently uh, but the night did belong to Benil Darius he was out for a very long time he was coming in off of injury and to look as good as he did against a young surging guy like that in Gamrod uh, was impressive. It was impressive. I think that's the only way to put it. And like I said earlier, it's seven or eight wins now in a row uh, for Benil. It's impressive. You can't disrespect him anymore. Um, and unfortunately, though, there's a guy named Alexander Volkanovsky that is keeping him from getting that next title shot. So I'll be curious if Benil will wait 
or if he will probably just fight again. I have a feeling he will probably fight again. He seems to not care how many fights it will take. He just said, just keep giving me people. I'll fight until I get that title shot. So it's not the best mindset to have, but it's also a sick mindset to have to where he's like, fuck it. I'll just fight anybody. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what the UFC does. They're obviously way more concerned and worried about getting that super fight put together. But Mr. Benil, well, I was going to say seems closer than ever, but I'm going to hold off on actually committing to that term. So next up here, Bilal Muhammad had one of the bigger performances of the night, one of the more exciting fights of the night. I mean, what what's what, what universe are we in here? As yeah. he gets the TKO in his fight, um, I guess uh, similar question maybe. It was over Sean Brady, by the way. Sorry, Sean Brady's first loss of his of his yeah. career. A guy that's been so highly touted, and Blau got a dud on the feet. Very good stuff. I mean, how close is Bilal to getting a title fight? Mm, man, I see just another guy that's kind of in the same boat as Benil. We got a lot of Benil Daryush kind of <laughs> waters here in this episode because I'm going to say it again. One more question mark? I mean, there's just there's other. Well, he feels like there. one that's that's clearly he's he's clearly like one away. I yeah, think. but the, I'll tell you that the performance. He needed a performance like that. He really did to get a finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and he looked, I mean, he looked very good. I've, granted, I know he's going up against another grappler, so there'll probably still be people hating on him, like do it to a striker, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, he's adapting to the type of fighter that he's going up against. So I, I liked what I saw, man. The fact that it was exciting, it was nonstop. And that's what I wondered. I wondered that on Thursday because I'd seen him do it before in fights with other grapplers. It came to mind was the Diego Lima one. Obviously, Sean Brady better well known than Diego Lima. But the fact was, I knew that he could com- could do things on the feet to hinder other fighters when they were his type of style, and that's what he did uh, to Sean Brady. He overwhelmed him. He over he outwilled him, and he made Sean Brady wilt under that pressure, and he got the TKO win. So, well, I mean, what he's top five? Uh, him and Gilbert Burns. I'd run that. Yeah. I'd run that. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. Uh, Manon Fior becomes the first <laughs> and seemingly forever to beat Caitlin Chukagian. Clearly, she gets a unanimous decision win over Chukagian. But, Dominic, this puts Fior in literally one or two from the top here against uh, in this women's uh, flyweight division. But I sort of feel like this fight just brought up more questions than it actually gave answers for Manon's capabilities in terms of being a title challenger or even a champion. Um, Do you feel similar? Because I know you've been very high on her for a while. Yeah, these last two fights for her, granted's been against her hardest competition, so she's kind of just done what she needed to do to win. She's not blowing anybody away like she did in those first two UFC fights. And she's just adapting, and I get it. The competition gets stronger. I'm not saying she needs to go out there and starch everybody. But she's not doing anything to really make us wonder, hmm, maybe if she fights Valentina, she can win. And granted, nobody's really made us think that, no, until Taylor Santos. But it took her fighting Valentina for us to think that. So, uh, yeah, she puts herself... In that number one, number two spot, she beats the lady that has been number one for years, who is on a four-fight win streak. She's 5-0 and in the UFC. She's won 10 fights straight outside of the company and in. But 
I don't know. I don't know. The hype that I once had, like I believe in her. I know she's a good talent. But when you just can't imagine a world where she beats the champion, how much does it really mean? That sounded harsh, but I mean, that's that's the problem with a dominant champion like this. That's all. That's all. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, we, you can't really expect her to go out there and starch, you know, these top level women in this division because the competition gets tougher. Like, you can't expect her to keep that up, except for the fact that that's what Valentina literally did. So, if she wants a chance to beat Valentina, you should have to, you probably have to do similar things. And <laughs> yeah. even Taylor Sotos, I thought, did a better job of that on her way up. You know, I thought she was pretty clearly beating her opponent soundly. Mm-hmm. And Manon is doing enough to win, but not much more than that. The problem is, uh, I mean, she's kind of right there. Like, she might get the next title fight. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of ready or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Here's your prize for beating Chukagian. You get Valentina. I mean. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't. It probably won't be the next fight because I don't think like we don't sound that excited about it. I don't think anybody's really that excited about it. But if she wins one more fight, she's still. I mean, how many more? Yeah, you can't keep her out of that spot for too much longer. Yeah, she, she's there now. At the top of this division. Yeah, there's not enough women at the top of the division that are fresh to allow her to just keep fighting and fighting and fighting. You know. Just hoping right. that she can put up a show one time. Yeah. So yeah, it's an um, interesting topic, really. Yeah. Uh, lastly, one of the other finishes on this card: Muhammad Mohayev, the young twenty-two-year-old phenom in the men's flyweight division, got the submission over Malcolm Gordon. Very close to the end of the fight, four minutes twenty-six seconds of round number three. How would you grade Mohayev's? I guess his junior performance. In the UFC, yeah, it was similar vibes to his second one. I feel like did we do? We might even done the same question for that fight, but this one, um, it was a step up in competition. B minus, and I say that because Malcolm Gordon had been finished in every single fight that he had lost. Um, and and the way the fight started, I'm like, oh shit, okay, this is gonna be fun. That under is gonna hit that we're talking mm-hmm. about shortly. Um. But I don't know. And I, I did see that after the fact, Mohayev put out a tweet and said he was sick uh, going into the fight. So I am going to take that for a grain of salt here. I guess I'll. that's maybe what keeps him in that B-minus range. But I just like, the kid is a phenom. A phenom. Like, his skill is high level. He's very dominant, right? I'll give him that. But at the same time, because I remember we were kind of having this discussion during the fight. Like, yeah, he's dominating the fight. But he's not dominating the fight at the same time. Like when you're controlling someone for that amount of time and you're just seemingly getting them down and down time and time again, outside of a few transitions for Gordon. So he did do a couple good things. But Mahayev wasn't going for anything once he had the superior positioning. He wasn't going for the ground and pound. He wasn't going for the submissions. He was kind of just content with holding that control time and whatnot. And as he continues to progress, the discussion of the control time versus damage that doesn't always win the fights. It is right now. And he did get a submission, obviously, which is awesome. The transition to get it was sick. And it, it's just another thing that showed like, dude, you ha- that was there. That was there the whole fight. 
he finally pulled the trigger at the end. So just, I guess it just left me with a little bit to be desired because I know how good he is. Is that fair? B minus. Yeah, I'm a, I, I'm giving him a C minus. Uh, I think he barely passes here, like because he got the win. But I mean, he gave up his back to Malcolm Gordon at one point. You know, this this was an interesting fight. Again, he's so young that like. Yeah. Maybe we're just maybe we just need to put pause on like really pushing this guy, but at the same time, flyweight is a tough division to do that in. There's not a ton of bodies. I mean, he's yeah. already fought three times. I mean, I don't know how many more times. Like, you could only have him fight like three more guys before you get to top fifteen fighters. Yeah. So, again, ready or not. You know, are you are you who we who you think you are or not? He claims that he would beat Roy Val and Albazi in the same night. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I know that's just talk, but all right, you're about to have to face one of them here soon, probably. So yeah, yeah. I think he's gonna have to do more than what he did here and in his last fight to, you know win those fights if i'm being honest Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no i like that i agree let's move on to the below average bet slip dominic Uh uh-oh yeah you know we went to war on saturday i'll tell you that you know no all things considered i i i I, you know it is what it is right yeah you could tell by the way that dom is talking which one of us actually came out kind of okay from this (laughs) Because okay, true. Yeah, true. Dominic did not come out too scathed here. Um, yeah, there's a lot of red on here. Now, Dominic, as you can tell, Charles Oliveira <laughs> losing is basically, I mean, yeah. that, that pretty much sent us into a free fall. Yeah. Nothing like waiting all the way to the main event for it, huh? Well, I preferred that, if I'm being honest, because <laughs> at least, I, and I wish I could say I preferred it in a way, because, like, really, this card didn't deliver the goods for most of it yeah if i'm being honest you're right so on one hand i wanted it to be like okay at least we got to enjoy the whole card until the main event but most of the card wasn't all that great and then the main event just kind of ripped my heart out so (laughs) yeah um, Yeah. i'm curious anything that stood out to you anything else i guess besides the charles uh bet um i had a lot of good uh, feeling that there were going to be finishes on this card. So I liked a lot of unders and inside the distances and whatnot, and they didn't all go well. Um, and I will just say too, this bet slip was a little bit different to others. This was very, uh, impulsive because we all got to be together. Right. So we were kind of like, uh, for the first time ever, we did a couple like live bets that got added on late, so on and so forth. Cause we, we, we were beginning to realize that as we had a couple bets miss, we really had to try and make up ground because we knew what was on the line in that main event. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair to say no. So like we ended up, you know, going into this fight, we started with one unit on Bilal. I ended up putting two on him live betting. We put three units on Bilal and it hits at plus plus one fifteen or plus one twenty, And that was big. We were able to make up a little bit of ground because again, that we were just trying to fight there. So like there, there was just a, it was a very different week. It was a very unique week, something we haven't done before. Um, and, uh, you know, inside the distance with Daryush and Gamera, that's two units down the shitter. Mohaev Gordon under one and a half, two units down the shitter. I impulse bet Nurmagomedov, Omar Godziev inside the distance, down the shitter. So 
yeah, I was hoping for a lot of violence. Didn't get a ton of violence. It is what it is. We knew we were going to war, as Noah said. We knew the risk involved. We take it on the chin. We go on to next week. It's as simple as that. All things considered, as bad of a week as that is, minus 10 double-digit units, we're just barely below that Mendoza line. We're just barely below negative. We've already dug out of the hole once quite significantly. We're going to do it again, and it's no question. <clears throat> once again, can you guys tell which one of us came out mostly unscathed from this? <clears throat> I think that's all I have to say about the bet slip. All Let's right. get on into closing statements. That's the point of the show where me and Dominic can talk about anything and everything, MMA-related or not. So, Dominic, any closing statements for this Monday edition? Uh, <clears throat> um, I'm trying to think of anything that may have happened this weekend that could cause some questions. Um, yeah, so gambling's not fun. And I played <laughs> slot machines for the first time in my life mm -hmm. uh, this weekend, and I've never burned through money quicker. So I will likely not be heading to any slot machines anytime soon. And uh, yeah, it was just a really, a really humbling weekend, Noah. It was that. That's what. It okay. Was. Yeah. Nice. Um, for me, I just had something, and then I lost it hate to see mm. that. I've sort of debuted my my new project I've been working on. Um, yes. So again, you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok at TWIS underscore betting. That stands for This Weekend in Sports. I will be launching <clears throat> under the Below Average Joe's kind of all-encompassing brand. I'll be launching a new uh, podcast come 2023 called This Weekend Sports, focused on just all sports and, and more of the betting lines and stuff that go into it. Um, it will not take away from this show. I will still be, you know, doing my full slate on the MMA podcast as well. But uh, in in since I'm taking time to kind of get it ready come next year, I decided to start by putting stuff out on Instagram and putting clips of that on Twitter and TikTok to kind of get ready and kind of get used to the editing and the style and kind of getting comfortable with what I want to do. So make sure to just follow me there. Check me out. Let me know if you like it, if you don't. And, uh, yeah, so just having a little bit of fun, you know. There you go. A lot of fun things coming. Yep. So uh, I'm Noah Baker. That's Dominic Slee. We are but just two of the Below Average Joes, and we'll see you guys on Thursday.